I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Once again, welcome to the Revealed Apologetics Podcast. In this episode, um, I'm going to be um, showing you guys a debate um, that I had with a YouTube atheist by the name of Negation of P. It was a very respectful debate, but very um, filled with good content, and I think this is a good example as to how presuppositional apologetics is put into practice. So sit back and enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Believe me, the most fun. So we have two guys who have had had prior debate experience. They've been in different places, different channels, and this is going to be a really interesting discussion, not only because we really, we've done a lot of Does God Exist, but it's been a while since we've done a Is Christianity in particular true discussion. And... I'm not joking. I think this is the first time that we've ever had a presuppositionalist. So that's also a really special thing. Very excited to have a presupper, as that's you know how the kids say it nowadays. A presupper. I don't know. So anyway, they are both linked in the description. If you enjoy what you're hearing, if you're like, hmm, yeah, I like that. I want to hear more from either speaker. They are both in the description, so that you can click on their links, reach out to them hear more of their content, we would welcome you to, uh, I can tell you, I've gotten a chat with these guys and very pleasant people. I think this is actually going to be a really, like, just a really pleasant conversation. So with that, we're not going to spare, we're not going to take any time, but we are going to jump right into it. So I want to say right before that, I always forget, if this is your first time here, consider hitting that subscribe button as we have a lot more debates coming up. In fact, we've got a, a Really big one we're excited about. Aaron Raw is going to be having a discussion with Fuzrana this Monday for real. I'm stoked about it. So that's going to be out there. We've got a lot of other stuff. So glad to have you here. Whether you're Christian, atheist, 
Republican, Democrat, Jedi, or even Sith. We are glad that you are here. We are trying to build an eclectic community of different people. So with that, Eli will give you a chance to make your kind of opening statement for why you would say yes to the question of whether or not Christianity is true. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. All right. Um, well, first, when I when I talk about these issues, I'd like to lay out the groundwork as I see the nature of the debate. OK, and of course, uh, negation of P is going to be familiar with some of the buzzwords and things like that. But uh, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're discussing issues that um, people have debated um, over and over again. So I'm just going to lay out um, the situation that I as I see it. And the situation as I see it is that we have the situation of worldview versus worldview perspective. Why is there a difference between the Christian and the non-Christian, it's really because we are wearing different worldview lenses, so to speak. I mean, you and I are wearing glasses. If our worldview was a set of intellectual glasses, everything in human experience is filtered through those lenses, okay? And so if I'm wearing uh, red lens glasses, everything I'm going to look at is red. If I'm wearing blue lens glasses, everything that I'm going to look at is blue. That is um, necessarily the case. I do not believe that we can float in a neutral ground of a worldview independent situation in which we can make sense out of specific facts and things like that. We are both coming to this discussion from a worldview perspective, different systems of thought. Okay. That being said, I do also believe that there is no neutrality in this sort of discussion. So that is often understood that the Christian is the one who's making the positive claim and so oftentimes people interpret that as just the, the atheist or the agnostic just has to sit back and hear my case and, and you know, uh, I don't agree and I don't find it convincing and then he doesn't really have to offer anything. I don't think that's the case at all. I think really when you boil down to the issues, um, there really are only two worldviews. Um, now, I know that uh, we have the Christian worldview on the one hand, and I would categorize the other worldview as the non-Christian worldview. We can understand subcategories within the non-Christian worldview. Say, for example, we have Islam, uh, who looks at the world through the lens of the Quran, right? Uh, you have the Mormon, who has their specific worldview perspective. We have, um, I know atheists kind of have qualms with calling their perspective a worldview, but I'm going to assume it's a worldview because I think it is. And if we want to interact on that, we can. Um, every perspective um, has within it, if we were to look at the at this situation as only two worldviews, the Christian worldview and the non-Christian worldview, every non-Christian worldview has implicit or explicit within it the assertion that Christianity is false. For example, if you are an atheist and you say God does not exist, that implies the falsehood of the Christian worldview. If you are an agnostic or an, a little kind of a, a hybrid of an atheist agnostic sort of person, you say, well, I don't know if God exists. Well, that's an implicit uh, assertion that Christianity is false, since one of the very important assertions within the Christian worldview is that in a very profound sense, everyone knows that God exists such that they're without excuse. Now, you don't have to believe that. You don't, Well, I reject that statement from an agnostic perspective. But if you claim you don't know, we do have to grant this much, that that is an implicit claim that Christianity is false. So when we're dealing with worldview against worldview, principle against principle, system against system, it's not this situation where just the one person provides a positive case and the other person sits back and just listens to what the other guy has to say. I think in this kind of debate, when we're dealing with worldview systems, which have inherent within them ultimate foundations upon which everything else is built, we need to both interact uh, with each other's worldview perspective. And that's going to include things like um, worldview critique. We're going to have to internally critique each other's perspective. It does nothing to 
throw stones, so to speak, from outside the Christian worldview and disagree with it while standing on the non-Christian worldview foundation. If you want to attack the Christian worldview and the claims that I'm going to make when I put forth my argument, uh, the only way that you can do it is to hypothetically grant the truth of my worldview and then show, given its principles, that it cannot stand. In like fashion, it does nothing for me to critique the non-Christian worldview from the outside of the non-Christian worldview. I need to hypothetically grant the truth of the unbeliever's principles and show that there is internal inconsistencies there. This must be the case since we cannot speak merely of individual facts, since individual facts are not understood in a context-less uh, context, so to speak, right? Uh, the, the, every fact of experience requires a context in which it, it can be interpreted. And so we bring our worldview systems to interpret those specific facts. And that's why, as we engage, I, I'm not so much going to be focusing on specifics I want to focus on specifics in relation to a worldview system out of which we can make sense out of those specific issues that we might uh, talk about, be it science or whatever the case may be. So in closing, so I don't take up, I, by the way, I'm a teacher and so I can talk forever. So I do apologize. Um, the argument, uh, and I'm sure negation of P will be familiar. My argument is, is quite simple. It's a transcendental argument. Um, and my argument is that the truth for the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. And so the Christian metaphysic, so to speak, provides the, uh, the metaphysical context in which epistemological claims have grounding, in which knowledge is something that we could acquire, intelligibility makes sense, science, uh, the coherency of history, philosophy, all of these things require as a necessary precondition, my argument is, that the Christian worldview is correct, that what the Bible reveals about the world, that is actually the case, and that metaphysical context gives coherency for every single specific thing within a person's worldview. And so the truth of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. One more thing before I close, it's a, there's a temptation to think that this argument is merely an assertion. It's not an assertion, it's an argument. So if someone disagrees that Christianity is the necessary prerequisite for proof and knowledge and intelligibility, then we need to engage in worldview um, analysis at that point so that you can ground knowledge and intelligibility within your own worldview, thus refuting my claim that the Christian worldview is the only precondition for intelligible experience. All right. I hope that wasn't too long-winded. Um, uh, so th there we go. <laughs> you got it. Thank you very much. We'll go right into open conversation with that. So ready for you, Negation P. Thanks as well for being here. All right. And guys, y'all can call me Ned. Don't worry about the formal whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, Eli, I, I love what you said because you're right about every, all of it. I, I mean, it, it's going to be wonderful. Not only are we teachers and we're going to be long-winded, so we're going to drive people nuts, but we, <laughs> we're also going to agree from, uh, from opposite sides of the fence, so people are going to be throwing stones in both directions. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right. I, as far as, you know, sitting back and not making a case does nothing to help your, you know, help your side. Um, and, you know, from that aspect, as far as making my case, I, like I said, I'll just open with, I agree that I have to demonstrate why with the Christian God, um, knowledge, as far as it sounded like that's where you want to go with transcendental and get into knowledge and be able to prove quote unquote things. Um, we definitely start there um, because I, I think I can show that because of the Christian God, 
knowledge is unattainable. You can't get there. So, okay. All right. Well, uh, okay. So let's, let's begin. Um, now that the, the, what makes this easier is that you've acknowledged that the situation that I've set up is an accurate depiction of what it means for worldviews to engage in, uh, internal critique. So let's, let's jump in at that point then. Um, would you admit then that we both have a burden of proof? Oh, yes. Okay, cool. All right. So now we can just, uh, we can just, uh, flip a coin to see who wants to go first which world uh, let's build the world you know um do you want to build a worldview let's go we can just tell <laughs> well i mean what I, I, and again i i don't honestly i don't carry the way but it seems like <laughs> since christianity is in the title if you want right. to start with christianity and great, great, you know, great. go internal there and, and, and kind and of by the and by the way sense. just just for for listeners who might be listening um I don't mind talking about my worldview. I like to lay it out when, when I have the opportunity. Um, and with this issue of burden of proof, I, I'm not trying to shift a burden so that I don't have to answer anything. I just don't want anyone to think that since we both acknowledge that we have system versus system. And so we both have something to defend. All right. So I was just kind of saying that to joke around. But at any rate. All right. So the Christian worldview provides a necessary uh, foundation for knowledge because if we take a look at what a worldview is comprised of, we take the three uh, foundations of a worldview, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. Now, for those of uh, people who are listening, let me just briefly explain what those things are. Every worldview has a metaphysic, an epistemology, and an ethic. Metaphysics asks the question, what is real? What is the nature of reality? And it's very important to recognize that what you say about the nature of reality will spill over into your epistemology. And so we ask the question in epistemology, how do we know what we know? And this is literally everything. How do we know anything about anything? So based upon the nature of reality, we then need to connect the nature of what we say about reality to the nature of knowledge and how it's gained, and then move into the ethics as to in light of the metaphysical commitments and the epistemological commitments that we have, how then should we live our lives? And when we lay those things out, it is important to recognize that they must be consistent with one another. And so what I say about reality must also be consistent with what I say about how knowledge is gained and how I should live my life. And so our worldviews need to be consistent. So from the Christian perspective, my metaphysic is that everything is created by God. Uh, there is a creator-creature distinction that we make. Um, I am not God. God is the uh, original. He created all things. Uh, knowledge is possible because human beings are made in the image of God. And so we reflect God's nature in various capacities. One capacity would include the ability to be rational, to uh, utilize logic, which is itself a reflection of God's nature. And everything that we know about anything is connected to God's revelation, either in general revelation, the created order, uh, which includes uh, literally the universe, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and internally our own rational and logical capacities are themselves a revelation of God. My epistemology in light of my ontology includes the fact that God is able to convey aspects of reality to us such that we can know it. Okay. And in light of that, there are certain ways that we should live in light of that. And that spills over into my ethics. So within my worldview, knowledge is based upon God's revelation and his ability to convey knowledge to uh, image bearers. And so uh, that's how I think knowledge is gained through revelation. And that means if I am to know that I'm holding a pen in my hand, 
my very ability to know that I would say is based off revelation as well, since sense experience was created for various purposes. That is itself a gift of God and the way God created me. That's a form of revelation. Um, so anything that we know would be, uh, would have a revelatory foundation. And so God can convey to us certain things such that we can know them. That being said, I do not believe we can know everything and I can be mistaken about some things, but there are certain things that I cannot be mistaken about, which I'm sure we'll get into when uh, you cross-examine me. <laughs> okay, so I hope that kind of summarizes things in a, in a I can't say short, because I'm not sure if it's possible for me to, uh, to be sure my explanation, well, but I hope that makes sense and I'm not just rambling. <laughs> no, that, that, that makes lots of sense. And yeah, I, I'll warn you, as long as you can go, I probably can double you every time. So, okay. Well, you have a white beard. looks like you have more experience in this than me. So you probably could. <laughs> uh, that's not a good thing, by the way. That's definitely, I ramble way too much. So cut me off if I get there. Don't um, worry. I will. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So to me, that was fairly clear. I hope, you know, the audience is on the same page as what we're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. Just a couple of uh, points of clarity about God. I just want to make sure, sure that we're, we're on the same page. Effectively, the God that you believe in is omni across the board. Correct? God is omnipotent. He is uh, all powerful. But of course, omnipotence defined within a Christian worldview context. God is omniscient. He knows all truths and believes no falsehoods. Um, and uh any omni that we could apply, if it's in accordance with how God has revealed himself, then I would say God has those omni qualities. Okay, good. Um, also, God has a plan, um, and that plan must be um, carried out. We can't, we can't, nor anything else could thwart that plan, correct? Right. God has a sovereign decree, and so when he, before he creates, if we can use the word before, we're going to be talking pop in popular parlance before anyone claims, well, that doesn't make sense before, you know. Um, right. God decrees everything that comes to pass so that everything that happens in space and time is an unfolding of his, uh, his own counsel and purposes. Okay, good. Yeah, that, I just want to make sure. I kind of figured you were there, but just wanted to, sure. I started dissecting, so to speak. Okay. Um, all right, so going to we'll start with the metaphysics like you were saying before um mm -hmm. speaking about what is real um mm -hmm. what i guess i'm assuming that you're basing your reality on um for lack of a better term would be uniformity of nature and um oh in, inference at least to certain to a certain degree i would say that knowledge of god is um immediate not immediate in other words my knowledge of god does not come from a looking and seeing and drawing conclusions. I would say the knowledge of God is inherent within my system, and it's upon that foundation I can make sense out of everything else. And so I'm not basing my belief on, say, the uniformity of nature, because the uniformity of nature is part of my system. So I hold right. that, and it has coherence because of other things within my system. Right. And I should have been more clear on that. I'm talking more ontology at this point, as far as what you believe about the reality of where you live and what we can glean from our surroundings, how, you know, water runs downhill, all of that would be based on uniformity of nature, inference, that type of thing. That makes sense. I, I well, I'm going at the deeper level, all of those things I use and they help me gain knowledge, but it's only because of the metaphysical context in which I'm operating on, which is the, the Christian uh, context. Huh. So that the world is the way that it is. And because the world is the way that God has revealed it. And because of that, it makes sense to 
use induction and logic and things like that because I have a metaphysical grounding for them. They're not um, just arbitrary assumptions that I hold. Oh yeah, yeah and that, that's kind of what I was getting at is it's, it's, it's based, well, anyhow, we're, we're on the same page there, I think. <laughs> okay. um, um, now, I guess that's where my first pushback would come. If I've got an omni-god, um, something that literally can, within his power, do anything, let's say even if we constrain it and bound it by um, logical, you know, it, it's got to be, he can't make a um, married bachelor. It needs mm -hmm. to be within reason. Mm -hmm. But uniformity of nature evaporates. There's no such thing as uniformity of nature with an omni-god. It's only uniform as long as he allows it to be uniform. In fact, we see that with every miracle. So mm -hmm. you could not base knowledge in any way, shape, or form in any kind of uniformity. Yeah, uh, when you said that there's no uniformity of nature um, unless the God is operating in uniformity for that, you know, for in, in a regular sense, right? I mean, he, could, he can do miracles or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's right. There's uniformity of nature because within the Christian worldview, God's revealed to us that nature is uniform. However, when we say that nature is uniform, it is not necessarily so. In other words, the laws are stuck like that. Otherwise, God would be locked out of his creation. And so exactly. within, the, within the Christian worldview, I expect regularity, but also within the Christian worldview includes the belief that God, God could and has intervened in specific points uh, to accomplish certain purposes. So I would say, for example, within the Christian worldview, I have justification for believing that the sun will rise tomorrow most likely. But within my worldview, I could also say it may not if God desires to, but he's made promises that they will. Seed time and harvest will come. Uh, and we and make and it makes that caveat that of course when Jesus comes back things will will change and so I have a basis for regularity but I'm not married to the regularity in the sense that the laws that God has put in place must be immutably so all the time so I could know things to a certain degree based upon God revealing I operate in this way but I also operate in this way I could redemptively act and perform miracles and things like that right which speaks to the point and again i know at least i'm i'm we talked a little bit off air i don't think you're you know going to go how do you know how do you know how do you know and but it does kind of get to that sure. get back to that question is that with mo most presuppositional apologetics it boils down to how do you know with a capital k mm -hmm. x y or z or anything and if we've got an omni god that literally can do anything include wipe us out of existence and do it in a way that effectively we never existed. Mm, I would um, disagree with that. I would disagree with that. Okay. For example, if, if someone were to ask me, uh, can God right now send everyone to hell right now, right now, just like, forget about it. Ah, I don't want to deal with anyone. Send everyone to hell. The answer to that question is no, because he's already made redemptive promises. So to send everyone to hell, including people who placed faith in Jesus would actually cause him to go <clears> against his word which would contradict what the Bible says in regards to his inability uh, to lie. So right. there are, so, so God cannot go back on what he has already promised and history is unfolding through uh, moving towards his redemptive purposes. He cannot go back on that. Not because he's, um, he's not omnipotent because omnipotence within the Christian worldview does not entail that God does the logically impossible. And it is logically impossible for a holy and righteous and perfectly honest God to actually engage in lying, which would be the case if he just said, yep, I'm going to send everyone to hell. doesn't matter what promises I made. Okay. So 
basically outside of potentially, and I'm assuming you, we were talking on me and Calvin us being whatever, um, outside of doing, oh, something outside what, what you were talking about, taking the elect and condemning them to hell, um, mm -hmm. you know, taking the non-elect and, and welcoming them into heaven. Those type of things, if you want to bound it by a logical inconsistency and say that's lying, okay, we're fine, we can go there. But what I'm saying is, is any knowledge outside of maybe that small parameter, I don't see how you can claim knowledge of anything, especially like with science. Science, we don't prove anything. And mm -hmm. you know, we make probability claims based on inference, based on you know, repeatability, falsifiability, all, all the stuff. Um, I would say that you're at best in that same boat but in reality, even worse off, because at least with um, a worldview that encompasses uni uniformity of nature, and as far as we can tell, those uniformities hold, I can make, I can have predictive capability. You, you can't, I would say you can't, because. Well, but wait, wait, let me finish real quick. Sure. But the problem is, is like you said, and you said you did a really good job of this, saying that the, the sun will come up tomorrow, probably. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the best you can get to. And, and I mean, I, I find it refreshing that, there's a, that there is a precept guy out there that goes, okay, we're talking in probabilities, we're not talking in absolutes, because that's usually where we get to. Right, so, but probability presupposes certainty as well, since probability presupposes a foundation upon which we can make probabilistic claims. I'm not saying induction and that's good enough to make predictions. Induction has intelligibility because of the metaphysical context of a God who created the world to act in a particular way, in a predictable way. And so well, uniformity makes sense within a worldview in which God who knows everything reveals to man that we could expect nature to act a certain way. Now I can leave it, you know, even within that worldview, yeah, God can, can, perform miracles but generally speaking he's revealed to us nature will work for the most part in this way it's safe to assume in science even as a christian when i engage in science i do not um give science the place that it does not seek to uh to hold namely to give me absolute certain knowledge the science doesn't do that science is a pragmatic discipline and that's that's the case for a christian and so when a christian uses science um, I'm not trying to get to certain knowledge. What is certain is that nature is, is uh, I'm able to use those principles because God has revealed to us that he created a world in which that makes sense. So uh, God has created a wow. world in which making certain predictions based upon probability makes sense. And he's created a world in which we can make certain, certain knowledge claims about uh, various things. So for my worldview, I could account for probabilistic conclusions and I could account for certain conclusions regarding knowledge. Okay, so that, okay. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of stuck because I've got two ways I want to go here. Okay. <laughs> and both of them are like, ah, which they're fighting. Um, okay, I, I'll, start with the, I'll start with the second one. You said you have certain, there's certainty claims that you can make. Not what, scientifically. No, no I, again, that's fine. What would you say from a, an absolutist sense, you can claim. You know, are you asking me what can I know for certain? Exactly. Right, um, that logic is valid. Okay, um, 
could it not be the case with an omni-god that the logic that he is, um, oh, for lack of, well, well, I'll use your word, revealed to you, could not hold, oh, maybe even other aspects that either you're not aware of that would conflict and in fact prove wrong some of your quote unquote certainty um, just because God works in whatever way he wants to work. And it's not so much he's lying, it's just that he's not going to reveal everything to you like you were talking about earlier. Um, just because you know certain aspects of a subject does not entail that you can be certain about that subject in its whole. I'm right? certain that logic is valid, so I know that with certainty. That would answer the question. If you ask the question, uh, what can I know with certainty? I know with certainty that logic is valid, even if that means that there are certain cases that I uh, misuse logic. So I, I can create a logical argument uh, to which I have a conclusion that does not logically follow, right? I can misapply logic, but the fact that logic is valid, I know with a necessity because to deny it, let's say I couldn't know it, I'd have to affirm it in order to deny it. Logic, I would say, is demonstrated by tr a transcendental necessity. It's true because of the impossibility of the contrary. Okay, and that that's that's where I'm getting at. How can you... At, how can you make that claim that it is transcendental and it is basic? In, in other words, it could not in any way, shape or form be revealed to you in a way that would show that the logic you believe is absolute in its correctness is not, is in fact flawed. Well, ba basically what you're saying is how is it possible within my worldview that logic is not absolute? No, that's not possible within my worldview, since within my worldview, logic is a reflection of the mind of God. We're creating his image, and we think our thoughts after him. In my worldview, logic is a reflection of his thinking, and so it can never be different than what it is. It can't be, you know, um, for example, the law of non-contradiction is not going to, you know, mysteriously become true. That's inconsistent but, within a Christian framework. But again, what I'm saying is, is that your perception... Mm -hmm. is incorrect. Let's use the law of non-contradiction. Even though pure logic, what logic really is, okay, is something that um, law of non-contradiction doesn't hold. However we get there, doesn't matter. It just, in the real, real logic, it doesn't work. But because you only have access to certain parts that God's have re God has revealed to you, it would seem to follow that uniformity, or I'm stuck on uniformity of nature, that um, law of non-contradiction is an absolute truth. Isn't it possible that with a being that is this, well, for lack of just so much superior and has such um, omni-properties that he understands that, look, if, if I were to enlighten them to the true nature of knowledge, they would not be able to comprehend in any way, shape, or form any more than you know, a, a dog or a cat can understand right. calculus. It's, it's just not going to work. Mm -hmm. So he piecemeals it together to where we get little bits and pieces that we can use, but the quote unquote omni, I don't even know what the, the word would be, but omni logic would <laughs> negate a bunch of the things that we think are because right. of our experience that, that seems to presuppose that the logic that I'm employing could be different than the logic that God is employing. No, no, it's and, only it's only partial. In right. other words, 
Well, uh, here's, a, here's an example. If I ask you what is two plus two, or I'm sorry, one plus one, it's two. most people, two. Well, I only gave you, you're right if you're looking at a base 10 system. But if I say, oh, we're in binary, it's not two anymore, it's one zero. So yeah, but real quick, I, to interrupt you, I apologize. Yeah. But even to talk about it, you're already presupposing the law of identity, the law of non-contradiction, oh, and the law of excluded middle. So even I, I, to talk, right, but, th but those have to be valid even <clears throat> to speak about binary or whatever uh, thing you want to talk about. That must be universal and unchanging. Otherwise, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, share your thoughts. It looked like you wanted to say something. I don't want to, I don't want you to leave the talk. No, I thought James was going to say something. Oh, I was um, just going to say, just so, just so we, I don't want Ned to lose his thought, just so, uh, how about if you're able to wrap up, and then we'll we'll kick it right back to Ned, so if you have that thought in your mind yet, Ned, we can uh, go back there. I just wanted to make sure it didn't go too long. Sure. Uh, don't worry about it. No, but you're right within our bounded world, with mm -hmm. the, the world that God has put us in, Mm -hmm. With the piecemeal of logic that the the small portion of logic that that resides within our world, you're right. All of that works, but the omni world that is encompassing all logic, the the biggest where God resides, it would again. We're only looking at part of logic because you're the way that you're presupposing is that you do have access to all logic. And I, I don't know what that I don't know what that means, Ned. Access to all logic. Logic are the proper rules of thinking. In my worldview, I'm created in the image of God, whose mind reflects logic, and therefore the mind of God within my worldview is revealed to me in the sense that I could employ these and know them to be certain. Otherwise, if they don't hold universally, then you know, then yeah, I would be stuck in a skepticism because contradict God can make something contradictory. You know, later on, I don't see what within my worldview, what you're saying right. isn't a possibility. You're saying, well, I'm limited. And how could I know this within my worldview? God has revealed an aspect of his mind to us that gives us the preconditions for and, intelligibility and to and, know that these laws are unchanging and necessary. And that's where and that's where I'm saying your problem is, is presupposing that God has enlightened you to all of logic has given you everything that there is to do with logic is without foundation. There's no way you can make that claim. Well, if there's a God who reveals himself and has revealed that revealed to us that we're made in his image and that we can use these, then yes, right. I do have within my worldview, the claim is he's revealed it. If, but there's well, no way you can, you can say that logic holds universally when you're back, when you're founding that on an if statement. I'm not asked. Well, I'm not, you use the word if I didn't use the word if, because I don't oh, believe you said, okay. So then, it, so then if I did, if I did, let me correct myself. Um, I believe my worldview is true since the argument that I use was transcendental. I believe it's necessarily true. So uh, let me correct myself. I will not say if my worldview is true, I believe it's necessarily true because within my worldview, I do not put contingency over God within my worldview. God is the one who determines what is possible and impossible. Right. And, and don't, don't get it twisted. I'm not saying there's contingency, con contingency placed on God. I'm saying there's contingency placed on us and our world that we reside in by God. Right. And so the thing is, is all I'm saying is, is even with an Omni God, mm -hmm. there is no way that from our perspective, from what we're looking at, we can determine what the true state of that existence is, what God's existence is. What if God reveals it to us? 
and again, it would be, it would be, I'm trying to think of the right word. I want to say um, subjective in that it's untestable, unfalsifiable to know that this is the complete um, essence of, you know, whatever you want to say. So say logic. There's, there would be no way for us to determine if there is something outside that bounds, if How we're you bounded know? or unbounded. How do you know that there's no limits outside it? And, and, and the fact that it's not falsifiable is not a bad thing. If something's right. necessarily true, then it's unfalsifiable. I'm saying that logic is necessarily valid, for to deny it is to affirm it. When okay. you say Whoa, all wait, wait, wait. of logic, I, right. I, just let me finish the thought real quick. When you say That's all right. of logic, I don't even know what that means. That presupposes that there is something more than these necessary laws that we have. These are the preconditions to even have discourse or to make any truth statements. So no, I don't know it, what it means it by- doesn't, it, it doesn't presuppose that they exist. It allows for their existence. In Say other words, again, sorry? it doesn't presuppose that they do in fact exist. All it does, all my statement does is allow for the possibility of the existence of outside more logic. I don't even know what to call it. And you're right. I don't know what that would be either. But, but from saying, the Christian worldview, that's not an internal critique of my worldview. Because no, no, it my, is. I believe it is. Because here's okay. the thing. I have not done anything to mandate that your God is in any way, shape, or form um, limited. If anything, you're the one placing limits and bounds on your God by mandating that he has, again, let me finish. He has, in fact, revealed this to us. Um, in its entirety by saying that it's impossible that he didn't. It's impossible, Ned, for the right. law of non-contradiction to be falsified by some extra logic in the mind of God, because then that would mean God can lie, which is a contradiction within the Christian worldview. Okay, how do you get there? Well, if the, not the law of non-contradiction, the statement is both, can't be both true and false at the same time in the same way, when God makes a right. statement, he can't then just contradict himself and violate the second law of logic because he'd be deceiving us within the christian worldview that's impossible god does okay, not so contradict well, well, what he second. has established already within okay again with our within our bounded world within our existence you're right but he doesn't do that let's say but outside this there is another law that allows for both statements to be true at the same I, time. I don't believe I don't believe that's possible since I believe that sec the law of non-contradiction is universal. It's universal. It's not localized within, you know, my segment of the universe. It transcends um, the physical universe. And it reflects, I would I would argue, the absolute universal mind of God. And I understand that. But what I'm saying is, is both of those statements, in my opinion, are without foundation. Because one of them is saying that you somehow which statements? I apologize. Which statements you say okay. are without foundation? Uh, both claims you made about um, it being universal and um, it's without uh, foundation. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That the, the I'm claim saying that the claim that, that the laws of logic are universally true is without foundation. Right. I I would just disagree. I think I think the laws of logic are established transcendentally. If you deny them, you affirm them. Now, if you say somewhere outside the universe, maybe they're not true. That's just begging the question that logic is localized into this one little area. Who's to, de who's to decide that it, it must hold in my local experience, uh, but it doesn't hold in some other, in some other mode of existence? Ooh, I, I, I would say you're begging the question by presupposing that it is, by saying that this is the statement 
and therefore it works this way. That's not well. Is, no, I'm not begging the question in a fallacious uh, sense because now we're dealing with now we're dealing with transcendental proof. Okay, uh, but again, people often make. The, I'm sorry. Again, that that's the that's the point that I say is without foundation. Is making that sta statement that this is transcendental, that you somehow know in an absolutist sense that this yes. must be yes. without exception transcendental, and at the same time claiming that there is an omni God that can do anything no he cannot go against the logic that he's revealed to us because that's an aspect of his own mind wait a second you're but you're not again again if we compartmentalize if we have if we have a bubbled universe we can get into mm -hmm. m theory or whatever you want to but the thing is what i'm saying is we're within this constraint that god created and within this bubble he says okay i'm going to bestow on this creation these laws of logic and in those laws, in the, that creation, they are going to be universal within those bound, that bound. Then it's not, then it's not universal. Then there it's not go. transcendent exactly. either. That, but that's, that's not, point. but that that's exactly it. I understand. But what you just suggested there is not the Christian position. How, how, okay. Tell me because why that God go does against. not create God. Does, if we look at our, our universe as this bubble, God does not say, okay, I'm going to create a certain set of universal laws in this bubble, then they're not universal. They're localized. The, for for yeah, us, the wait, logic, one second, one, one second. One, one second. Okay. They're not localized. If logic is, is um, relegated to just our physical universe that God created us in, then they're not universal. They're, they're not. You can't say they're universal only within here. They're not universal. And even if you were to say they were universal, let's say that these laws must apply just in this bubble. That's not the Christian conception. In other words, if God is using a different form of logic, does that logic within that bubble reflect the mind of God? In part, yes. Well, it, well, if the, the aspect that it reflects is necessarily the case. It's necessarily true because it, that part, it that reflects. Well, no, because there is no there is no context within the Christian worldview in which God uses a different set of logic than human beings. Because then, in that yes, case, in this not, not within the Bible, not within the Bible, you'd be arguing hey, but, but, outside. Okay, all right. Then, then let's go back to the Bible. Where in Scripture does it mandate that these laws are universal? Well, we did we deduce it from the character of God. Uh, you have it in place. What is there? Is okay. So let's. Exactly I would like my to point. What that we deduce it from the nature of God? How is that your point? From, from because again, if we only have partial revelation of God, we don't see God in his entirety. Of course, we're going to only get pieces. We're only going to get yes, we're only but but Ned, the pieces that we get are necessary for intelligibility. And so those that, those foundations must be unchangeable standards that transcend our localized existence oh, let's see there there yes. you've stepped across the laws of logic are no. transcendent they're not they're not um they're not just a product of our physical universe and then god just he says okay logic only works in here that's not what the genesis, biblical genesis would seem to indicate that god created everything in seven days and why how you can say that our universe that's described in Genesis, both one and two, is not compartmentalized as where I'm trying to get to. Is how do you know that there is nothing outside of this creation? God doesn't have five, ten different other universes right. running. Right. 
I, I would argue, Ned, I would argue, Ned, that if God created multiple universes, they all would operate under the same logic since logic is a because because logic, according to the Christian worldview, reflects the mind of God and the mind of God transcends every universe that he might create. OK, but let's, let, but let's look at it this way. In this universe, God is going to review, reveal this part of his logical mind to us. In another universe, he wants to see how his creation reacts to a different set of logical that presupposes there's a different set of logic which i reject no no no, no. it doesn't presuppose it it allows for the possibility there's a then huge the possibility is not that's not a possibility within the christian worldview you're not you're not so, understanding from the christian perspective that the laws of logic are universal because god is universal they reflect a universal mind and so when god reveals his mind to us He's not a segmented where, okay, no contradictions here, but in this universe, I'm going to reflect a part of my mind where there are contradictions. That is, how, that is how unintelligible. Can, how can you know that? Because by the impossibility of the contrary. <laughs> Great. Show me how it's impossible. The, the laws of logic are true. The laws of logic, law of identity, law of excluded middle, law of um, non-contradiction, they are transcendentally necessary. Deny them. And you lose the foundation for intelligibility. In our universe, I agree 100%. In our, well, in our existence, you can. Again, but I'm saying to make, to make that leap, to make right. that next step, to right. make them universal and absolute, you don't have foundation to do it other than to say, that's what I believe. Which no, is that's, not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not holding to some kind of axiom that has no justification. Uh, the, I, I, like you asked me at the beginning, uh, um, I think it was off, off the the before we started you asked me if i was a clarkian and i told you no one of the reasons why i'm not a clarkian is because i don't start with axioms axioms are by definition not justifiable what i start with is what i would like to call people who know the methodology will know what i'm saying a vantillian transcendental presupposition and a presupposition contrary to popular opinion is not an elementary assumption without justification a transcendental presupposition is an elementary assumption that is justified, but not by appealing to something external to itself, but rather appealing to its own transcendental necessity. And, and that, the transcendental, that's, stop. The yes, transcendental, yes. Um, and that's one of the main reasons I asked you about being Clark or being right. a Clarkian was right. because Clarkians, in my opinion, get it. They understand that making that claim about the no. transcendental is a axiomatic claim. No. It's because much, because, like it's, it has because to. Well, for example you when you say maybe it's possible that logic isn't universal i don't grant you that you say well i'm not presupposing it i'm just allowing for it i don't allow that that's not that's not a presupposition of the christian world every time you matter. say that Ned, that's an external critique you are imposing something that is not that's not part of the christian worldview system I'm sorry, logic I'm is sorry, universal you know? logic is universal and the laws transcend the locality of our universe if we assume the hypothetical possibility of multiple universes. Okay, I, I think that we've got to beat this horse to death. I think both of us are kind of like, you know, because I'm looking at it from the Clarkson end saying that I would say that making the claim that these are transcendental and they are, they are founded on that transcendental um, property is an axiomatic statement. You're not if, gonna agree with it, so right. it's That's not fine. gonna Let's, if, I would say move to let's move to the next point. Just if, one more one more some. quick point though. Okay, if you are please. if you're thinking along Clarkian lines, Clark right. didn't believe that God has a different logic than man. He didn't I believe that at all. 
I, I agree words, that. And again, as much as I would say that if you're going to go down that road, I think Clark was closer. You're right. I'm still not on board with, well, you know, I mean, of course, I'm not a Calvinist. In fact, I'm not even a believer at all. So I'm not going to believe everything. But in the, the point where he, for lack of a better term, admitted his dependence on axiomatic statements, mm -hmm. that's where I think the difference between him and Van Til uh there's a you have, you have to know the distinction we can we can move on because i know we're not going to agree here but you, there is an important distinction between oh, clarkian axiom and the vantillian <clears throat> transcendental presupposition yep. transcendentals and, are justified now if you believe that they're not justified if you're saying for example an ultimate presupposition can't be justified by definition what you're denying is the possibility of transcendental arguments which is i'm not saying you're absurd i'm saying to deny transcendental <coughs> arguments is absurd because transcendental arguments provide preconditions for the very rational conversation that we're having. But unless you have something, last point to show, we could we can move on. Well, we'll move on. If if okay. And I guess I guess one just one step back on this to make sure I'm clear. So mm -hmm. outside of logic, is there anything that you could know in absolute um, with absolute certainty? Yeah. Can I just ask one question before I answer that? Yeah. What do you believe? that Christians believe, and this is just for clarification, that God created logic? Uh, I think it is a, an emergent property of God, if that makes any sense. I okay, think, that I, would I not work because we, we don't believe that God has emergent properties, right? Well, it's because, maybe, maybe it'd be better if I said, it is part of God. It's not something separate from him. It's not something that is a, a creation of his it's a reflection of who he is if that makes it any clear right we would say that logic is god's thinking i mean oh. god thinks logically right so okay. he doesn't think logically and then there's a separate different set over here that's that that would be something that's not consistent with the christian world but anyway okay and again i think we're going to disagree there because right. that's fine that's fine i want to ask all again all we do is ask is how do you know that but it's right right right. okay all right well thank I, you and, I don't, I, and i don't want to get into the into being accused of being the pre-sup uh <laughs> agnostic going how do you know how do you know yeah so, right. we'll go back so, so what was your what was your other question so what's something other than logic yeah that, that you can know with absolute certainty i can know with absolute certainty that god exists okay um wow, that's interesting um how, <laughs> and and i i mean you've probably heard this a hundred times some sure. you know but the let's say that i am who i am i'm an agnostic atheist and by that i'm agnostic to god i'm atheistic in certain gods but let's say that um you're sitting across from me a um Oh, a Hindu is sitting across from me. We've got, you know, three or four different religions or even sects of those religions. Um, how without God, now again, I'm, this may be unfair because I'm pretty sure where you're going to go is, is God's going to have to intervene on my, he's going to have to take the first step, so to speak, to, mm -hmm. to reveal it to me. Um, without that, would there be any way that I could determine which one of you is representing the correct God. Because both of you, every one of them that I would ask, they would, all of you, you would say, I know with absolute certainty, my God is the true God. Can you rephrase the question in a more simpler way? Since what you were doing was asking the question and then kind of expanding and I lost what you were asking. So can you okay. simplify the question just so I can kind of capture what you're asking? Right. Without God revealing himself to me, okay, mm -hmm. how can I know 
given a myriad of gods and a myriad of people claiming they know with absolute certainty their specific God is the true God, which one is true? Right. Uh, without God revealing it to you, you couldn't know anything. I would say that any any article of knowledge is revelatory. So I do not believe in autonomous reasoning that independent from revelation that we come to certain knowledge claims. I would even I would even I would even include there, you know, Descartes' cogito ergo sum. I think that there's problems with that as well. Um, so without revelation, um, autonomy, I think, does not provide the preconditions for intelligible experience. Hmm. Okay. Um, so if everything is a revelation of God, is that kind of summa um, a summation of what you just said? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that then hold that those other people believing uh, those other gods was a revelation of God lying to them? Uh, no, I would say that all men know that God exists in a very profound way and that the construction of other religions is a one of the many ways that natural man uh, suppresses the truth about God. They create gods after their own image. They worship the creation rather than the creator. So they create gods that they could handle, uh, you know, gods that they can make with their, with their hands. It is within the Christian worldview. And again, someone doesn't have to say, well, well, that's ridiculous. All men know God exists. If the Christian worldview is true, there's a very profound sense in which all men do know. And so God is not revealing to them uh, the belief that their God is true, God has revealed himself of his own existence and they are suppressing that truth by constructing false gods, if that makes sense, within okay. my perspective. All right, and, and again, from my perspective, how do I know that you're not the one that's suppressing and they're not the one that's correct? That's right, from your perspective, from your non-Christian worldview, I don't know how you would know because I don't know how you can know anything because you haven't gone through your epistemology yet. So I don't want to take that for granted. Uh, you didn't go through your epistemology. You asked some questions about my perspective, which is fine. That's what we were oh, supposed okay. to do. Yeah. But what, how would you know? I don't know how you would know, given your own worldview perspective. How you know from my worldview perspective, I would say there's a very profound sense, in, a profound sense in which you do know that God exists. And the way you know is evidenced by the fact that you use things like logic, um, like rationality, like induction, that only makes sense if what the Bible says about reality is true. Again, you say that, that you, and this is the nature of a transcendental argument. The, the knee-jerk reaction to that is, well, that's, that's a cool claim, Eli. You're claiming that. <laughs> Demonstrate it. And part of the demonstration is to then say, okay, well, if my God is the necessary precondition for intelligible experience and the person says, oh, no, he's not, then you need to give a foundation and show me that I'm wrong. Give me a foundation for knowledge. And so and, that's where and, we're going to get into moving away from an insert critique of my worldview, and then we're going to lay out your worldview. What's your ontology? What's your epistemology? Are they consistent? Do they provide the necessary preconditions for intelligibility? Okay. Yeah. And, and Does that make sense, that, though? I, I, oh, I said a lot there. I mean, okay. yeah, and, and I understand where you're going, um, but you're right exactly, you know, how that, how that thread is going to work its way out. Okay. Um, but I guess the other, the other thing and we're kind of shifting gears here and we, and then if you want to, we'll, we'll go into, because what you were, you went through um, the metaphysic, <laughs> metaphysics, epistemology, <laughs> and the ethic. Um, if we can just skip to the ethic into this, that's another area that I would think would demonstrate that the possibility of the Christian God being true um, becomes untenable. Um, so 
and we and the, and the epistle the epistemological the epistemological side wow it's been a long <laughs> week sorry that's all right <laughs> um again like you said the metaphysics is going to feed that so now if we can kind of push that one off at least for a little bit and come back to it if we need to mm-hmm. but the ethic end of it um ethic or you know like you said earlier how to live effectively mm-hmm. morality and ethics together um I would say it's going to be extremely problematic um, to get any kind of real um, ethic or morality given the existence of, a, of an omni-god. The main reason is, is because, especially the Christian God, now there may be gods out there that I think we can get to an ethic or a, a, a somewhat objective morality, but an omni-god with a plan you can't get there because it literally makes morality impossible. Um, and I'll show you how I get there. Mm-hmm. Let's say that um, you have an omni-god that is omnibenevolent. And the interesting thing is, is um, if the if the god is malevolent, it works the exact same way. But I would assume that if God does something, regardless of what it is, it has to be the best of all possible actions. Would that be fair? Mm -hmm. Okay. So God being an omni being cannot um, be a passive player. There's no way to sit back. And who says, well, that's well, I'm about to explain why. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because if he's omniscient and he's all powerful and he has a plan and again, he's omnibenevolent. If he has a plan and something is taking place that would go against that will, go against that plan, that can't happen. It's impossible. It's incoherent that that action could even remotely take place. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying, but then uh, you have to understand, again, within Christian theology, we make provision for those. We make those distinctions from the scriptures themselves. We uh, believe that God has a decree, like you mentioned before. Uh, uh-huh. He has a decretive will that is never thwarted, and he has a prescriptive will which he allows to be thwarted. And when the okay. prescriptive the prescriptive will is based upon based off his revealed law, it is a sin to murder. Right. And God has decreed a world in which he allows people to disobey that. However, in their disobeying, God also has a decree which always plays out. Now, the decree does there not make the evil actions that he permits good. But it does mean that the decree, which has his good purposes in mind, he has good reasons for the certain evils that he does permit. And so so I would say, uh, just real quick, on that basis, again, someone might disagree. Well, well, I I don't agree with that. That's fine. And I'm not saying you're saying that. But um, the fact is, if God is, uh, part of his decree is to reveal his moral nature by giving us laws, and a standard by which we can measure, then you could have objective morality, even when he decrees to permit certain evils. It's actually the permission of certain evils that brings up, brings out even strongly the, the objective nature of those standards. Good. So allowing or permitting those evils actually is a good because it allows for the greatest of goods. And without the allowance of that evil, the greatest good could not be attained. The permitting is good. But right. what is he permitting? He's permitting an evil action. But the thing is, is without that quote unquote, okay, let, let me kind of, let me get it to the, I, I use this analogy to make it a little more clear. 
Um, I've got a son, I've got a daughter. When they were young, there were times that <clears throat> we would have to take them and get them inoculated for the flu and all that type of thing. Now, <clears throat> from their perspective, they're sitting, uh, sitting in the doctor's office and they see this person walking in and pulling out this needle. And they understand from past experience that doctor is going to cause them pain by injecting them with that needle. Mm -hmm. They have no concept that without that inoculation, they are going to potentially be set up for much greater suffering later on. Mm -hmm. So that small amount of pain allows for a greater good. So even though that pain hurt, it was a good thing that it, they had to go through. But from their perspective, all, because of their limited view, because of their inability to understand the grander picture, they're going to view that as a negative. They're going to view that person possibly as evil. Mm -hmm. So from our limited perspective, what we view God doing or allowing to happen in the same way, the five-year-old is going to say, no, 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 get away from me with that needle. We're going to say, no, 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 don't allow rape. Don't allow, um, you know, um, Hitler. Don't allow all this. Mm -hmm. God says, I understand because you're limited because you can't see the greatest of good, but this tool I must use to bring about the best of all worlds. And if I didn't use that, my plan would not come to fruition. Therefore, that tool, regardless how it's viewed from us, has to be a good. No, the tool, again, for example, you get the example of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where the, the situation of Joseph being sold into right. slavery with his brothers. And you have at the end of the story, he says yep. to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You, exactly. have, two, you have two intentions pre present in there. You intended to harm me. The intention of the brother's heart was evil, but God intended it for good. What did he intend? One second, one second. What did he intend for good? To permit the objectively evil actions of the brothers. The evil action is not good, but it is good that God permitted it because it was, um, it was accomplishing God's purposes. So when God decrees a good, it is good. When God decrees an evil, the evil isn't good, but his decreeing it is because he's accomplishing a purpose. Where Within did, the Christian where, worldview, if you disagree with that, yeah. you're just now- well, you're No, no, I, I'm, no, no, I'm, okay. I'm not. I'm trying to say, I okay, mean, okay. I, this to me is internal as is, is it gets. Sure. Where did that desire to do evil originate? Within the hearts of the, of the brothers. Independent of God and his will? No, God decreed that the heart Boom. would be affected in certain ways. <laughs> And if we follow scripture, that was literally scripted from the beginning before they ever were there. Of course, there's no such thing that, and there's no thing that happens that's outside of God's plan. However, we make exactly. a distinction between, uh, uh, I, wanna, I don't, I don't want to get too overly philosophical, but we make distinctions between strong actualization and weak actualization on the part of God. There are things that God actively performs, and then there are things that God passively brings about. He okay, passively well, brings things about through permission. But the things that he permits will accomplish God's purposes. Otherwise, we're living in a random world. They're just things that happen independent of God's, of, independent of God's decree. And that's my point, is that if everything is part of his prescribed will, there cannot, he cannot prescribe evil. Not anything. No. Right. But you just told me that he prescribed the desire to do evil. No, I didn't say he prescribed. I said he decreed. Decre the decretive will of God is different than the prescriptive will of God. These are these are important theological nuances that we have to make. Otherwise, we make a we make them we make a mistake in how okay. God in relates his, to in his permissive nature. Mm -hmm. It's still not part of his will. 
It's part of his will to permit genuinely evil things to occur. Very good. To so, permit again, them. Yes. Which, which in order to allow that permission, allow that permittive action to take place, I would say would fall back into the prescriptive side. Well, you could say that. That, that, okay, doesn't me mean that, that's, that doesn't mean that's the case. So here's the point. If we're talking about objective moral standards, let's say you disagree with every the validity of everything I just said and that you still are proving a point. If an action within the Christian worldview is deemed by God to be objectively evil, and the standard of, of determining that that's objectively evil is his character, his good character, as he's revealed it, then within that system, those actions are objectively evil. If that's independent of whether God decrees it or whatever, it's evil and God's revealed it as such. So within the system, there is an objective standard. Okay. So again, let's, I want to get it at the essence because, because once we start to get away from what God is going to allow or prescribe to happen, either through permission or prescription, Mm -hmm. both of those are actions within God. And if we are looking at an omni God, can he permit evil? No. Can he prescribe evil? No. If both of those false, that's false though. He okay. can permit right. evil. He can permit evil. So if he omni- has if he if if God is omnipotent, then he's able to permit certain things to occur. But they're not random. He permits them because as a good God, he has purposes for permitting them. But but exactly. his permitting them doesn't mean they're not evil the evil we have to keep we have to keep this in mind the action that he permits is evil but him permitting it for um his sovereign purpose is not evil would there's a difference between the two well no i don't think so because here's the thing (laughs) would would without him permitting those actions to take place the greatest of all goods take place can you ask the question again i'm not sure i understand okay without him permitting the like you said, ultimate evil, whatever you want to call it, evil in general, mm-hmm. without him permitting an evil action to take place, could the greatest of all goods, his plan, come to fruition? Well, it would depend. The, the things that are considered good are relative to his purposes. If God has a purpose, then certain actions, whether it's an active thing by God or a permissive thing of God, would be good relative to serving his ultimate purposes. So if God has a purpose, then these actions are good in as much as it serves his purpose. If he permits, then it's good that he permits. But what is he permitting? He's permitting evil. They are genuinely evil. And within the Christian world, we can know that they're evil because we have the comparison of God's perfect nature okay. expressed in his law. All right, maybe, little, maybe before before you before you follow right. up, that's the Christian perspective. I don't see the point you're making that within the Christian worldview, we can't have an objective standard. Even if you disagreed with everything I said, we still have an objective standard. I don't agree with your critique, but there is a standard to determine what's right and wrong. Okay, but all right. And so I guess my view, just I kind of cut the chase a little bit here. My view as far as morality goes is you've got to have, number one, the possibility of his existence. I would say if everything ends up being good, there's no such thing as morality. Secondarily, if, if you can get past that hurdle and you can show that there can be good and evil, then you have to have identifiability. In other words, I have to be able to tell what is good or evil. There's mm-hmm. another argument that I bring to bear that shows, at least in my opinion, that with an omni God, there is no, you cannot identify good and evil. That's false. Then, well, we can get there if you want to. And then third, okay. you have to have justifiability. 
Mm-hmm. In, as far as once you determine what is good or evil, justify why it is good or evil. And again, so you've got a three-legged stool, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And if you take away any of the three legs, it's going to fall over. Well, so let's okay. go through this. Let's go through each stool. Okay. So what was the what was All the right. first one? So the first one is is viability. Can you actually have a any type of moral system with an omni god that is omni benevolent or malevolent? If yes. Well, not malevolent. I would say if he's malevolent, then 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 you're throwing a wrench into the whole thing because then you get into Descartes' evil demon, and there's a whole bunch of things in terms that are problems. Right. So that's not the Christian world. Right. We, we don't want to go there. Right. We can constrain it. We'll just go to, to benevolent. Okay. So so let's so let's answer the first stool. So gotcha. within the Christian worldview, we have an objective standard. If the Bible is my standard, and God reveals his his law to us and tells us it's a reflection of his good nature, that's the standard. So how do I determine what's right and wrong? Anything that does not conform with that standard is perfect. Wrong. Great. All right. So we're moving on to the second one as far as identifiability. Right. But I mean, I still think there's a bone, there's some <laughs> there's some bone to be chewed with possibility, but we can move on a little, at least okay. a little bit from there. Sure. So let's go to identifiability. Um, again, and then I, it's kind of a setup. I'll tell you, you know, whatever. Okay. But, um, <laughs> well, that, that's very nice. Like, listen, Eli, I'm about to set you up. I just want to let you know. I, 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 I do. <laughs> I definitely, I'm, it's not, I'm not here to get you or gotcha. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. All right. So the, the thought experiment I use here is, is we're going to Alaska and we've uh, gone through training. We've got a deer rifle. We've got all of this stuff that we need. And mm-hmm. we come across a ridgeline. At the peak of the ridgeline, we look down in the valley below, and there's a group of, uh, you know, boys down there, 18 below, whatever. It looks like, you know, Boy Scouts, something like that. And they're down there. They're going about their business, not doing anything. And we look off in the distance a couple hundred yards away, and we see two bears that are attacking them. We can, mm-hmm. we know, however we know, we know that if we don't intercede there, those bears are going to come and potentially kill at least most, if not all, the, all the children. Mm-hmm. Again, we have the means, we have the training, we were within, within range. What ought we do there? Ought we drop to a knee and, and try to kill the bears? Or should we allow that to take place? And again, that's well, the setup deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, is the point, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is the point you're trying to make that we don't have enough information to know what we should do? And we never can. That's the problem. Right. Okay. Because, that's, right. Well, that, well let, me, let me respond to it because that's the second stool. Um, that's not analogous to the Christian worldview in regards to the objective standard. The objective standard is revealed to us such that we can know it, both not only through the external law given to us in Scripture, but also the Bible teaches that the law of God is written in the hearts of everyone. So um, okay. the God's, um, uh, God's law is something that is not some ambiguous thing. It's something that we can know. We can now we can debate finer things in, in, in various contexts if you get to like case law. But the point is that the by if the Bible's true, the law of God is written in people's hearts. So it's not as ambiguous as you know, we're looking off and a bear's coming and we don't know what to do. That's not okay. that's not analogous to the well, Christian story. All right. Well, well if, let's, if you grant the Christian I, I definitely, story. I definitely want to go back to the um written on our but heart. Can I can I can I stop real quick? I do apologize. Yeah. Um, I don't mind this line of, of questioning. Um, as right. you can say, I, I've been happy oh, to yeah. answer them. Yeah, we haven't gotten to your worldview, and I don't think it's legitimate to start with ethics, since my whole point is that without the metaphysical context and the epistemology, ethics, I mean, 
I, we could just assume all those things are in place and talk. I, I don't grant those things. So, well, uh, and, and I thought we went through the metaphysics as far as showing why I don't grant your absolutist view. That's in the internal critique. Metaphysics. Yeah, you tried to internally critique my perspective, but you have not laid out your own, right? You haven't laid out your own metaphysics. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. We haven't. Right. That's what I was saying because I know we're running out of time. Oh, and okay. We won't be able to to get to because you've been you've been grilling me, which is fine. But I, I wanted to, I don't know how much time we have left. Maybe we can go a little bit into okay, your own perspective to kind okay. of show the point of what I was saying at the beginning that the uh, that the proof of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. Right. Let's get into your metaphysic, your epistemology, and then your ethic, and see how you uh, build your worldview. And I don't mean to cut you cut you off if you were going no, through no. something. I, no, we could talk about it forever, I, mean, I suppose. Exactly. Now, just just to wrap that up, and then we'll definitely switch over. Sure. Basically, Absolutely. the point of that is is that setup is reflective of the uh, she bears attacking um, the kids in the Bible. Elijah and Elisha, yeah. Yeah. So, it, with that, if we pull the trigger, and now there, there can be arguments made that we couldn't kill the bears, but our attempt to kill the bears would go in conflict to God's plan because if he sent those bears like he did with Elijah, then he is wanting those bears to teach those children a lesson. So us trying to do that could be considered to be trying to go against God's will, which again, I think we would all agree is a negative. Even though we're trying to do a good and our heart tells us to do that, we can't know that God is not using that for a greater purpose. And that would go across the board. Mm -hmm. and so I'll end with that one. And then well, as far as well real, but real quick, the Bible yeah. uh, within the, the theology of God's decretive will and his prescriptive will, uh, the Bible does not teach that I'm responsible to know God's decretive purposes. That's the my prescriptive. Point. The prescriptive will is what he reveals. I'm responsible for that. And but so if that, but if, but if you're looking at an objective right and wrong for each given action, you cannot know because of that independence of God's will and your inability to know it, what action you ought take to be more, be reflective of that will. I do know because based on his prescriptive will, he provides those standards and he, and his decretive will makes provision for my disobeying that because even in my disobedience, I can't thwart his plans. Okay. I, I, All right. I, I, well, I'm, I'm not sure how much you got of that if, because that presupposes some, some theology and philosophical distinctions between I, the wills of God, which is a super interesting, but okay, at so, any rate, so let's flip it. You, you come okay. back. Sorry about that. All right. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, okay. So uh, what is your worldview and how does your worldview provide the preconditions for knowledge? So give me your metaphysics. Uh, that, that's um, it's a tough question. Um, I tend to um, side with, uh, I, I don't like terminology because I'm very fuzzy on this, but um, I would say a naturalistic view. I do believe that we are, you know, for the most part, uh, atoms in motion. We are matter. Um, mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, yes, that's all we are. Um, what do, how can I, um, oh, how can I get from that point to an epistemology because, because of the way that, um, oh, chemicals, the uh, matter in motion, we get emergent properties. And we see that throughout all kinds of things in the same way that if we excite electrons enough, we're gonna get a photon. That's an em emergent property. I can get that from nothing more that, well, again, internally uh, internalizing my worldview. Though we literally can get 
to a certain degree, almost something out of nothing. Um, when you get to quantum physics and that level, at least somewhat, but I don't want to get all into that. What's happening is, is we see that the more, God, I hate using these terms because they're not accurate at all. The more complex a mind, that's not right. The more evolved a mind, that's <laughs> not right. But I think you know where I'm going. The more reasoning we see, the more ability do we see from everything from logic, like you said, to compassion, to ethics. We see that throughout the animal kingdom and it's based as much on complexity as it is also the dynamic of that, that, um, that animal. Go ahead. Sorry, man. Okay. Real, real quick. I know, I don't know if he's going to cut me off because we're finishing up, but you said we're matter in motion. Okay. Um, if we're a matter in motion, um, mm -hmm. how do you account for personal identity through time? Since matter in motion, our, our chemical makeup, it's constantly changing. If you don't have okay. um, personal identity through time, then it really, you don't provide the preconditions for words like my, I, or even knowledge claims. How do you have a conglomeration of chemicals producing emergent properties such that you could know that it's producing emergent properties? You're already presupposing your continued existence rationality how do you get rationality from matter in motion how could you know that your reasoning is valid on that perspective those are the kinds of questions i would ask and i'd be interested if i'm not sure if we have time but i'd be interested in how you would respond and, to that and if you've got time and james got time i'm more than willing to go over if you want to keep talking we can keep going um, okay yeah um as far as being able to um oh account for those, I can account for those about as well as I can account for, or people could account for lightning, let's say 200 years ago. Just because we can't determine exactly what the process is and how it emerges, doesn't mean that ne that necessarily mandates that it's not emergent. All we, we're basically missing a piece. And as much as, you know, I'm pleading almost out of the gaps here, because <laughs> I know I am, um, I think that's valid. The reason that I think it's valid is through induction, we know that anything that's been explained in the past has always, anytime we've made a supernatural claim and it's been quote unquote proven, it's been not supernatural. So for lack of a better term, I'll play the odds. Mm -hmm. I'll say, okay, if I know that 200 years, a thousand years ago, you know, Zeus was throwing lightning bolts and that's where lightning came from. Well, we mm -hmm. know that's not right now. Now that we have this other mysterious force, let's call you know, uh, self-awareness, uh, morality, uh, what we see, you know, reasoning ability, we don't know yet. But if we look at history, what is more likely to tell us where that came from? Every time it's been us discovering it has been a natural force. That presupposes that you could have knowledge on an ontology that you just put forth. And that's the very question. When you kept, I, you kept using I, but my question right. was about enduring personal identity through time. I, I don't right. see how you could have personal okay. identity through time if we're purely matter in motion. When you utilize because. induction, induction, as you're familiar with uh, David Hume and others who pointed it out, if you're relying on induction, you're relying on a fallacious form of reasoning. It's begging the question. You need a justification for those things Otherwise, you're just being arbitrary. When you say okay, and you, you have also, difficulty, you have difficulty um, answering the question of personal identity. No, I just well, didn't get there yet. 
Okay, so you had difficulty, you said something you had difficulty answering. Uh, you said, uh, I have as much difficulty answering that as you had something else. What would you remember right. what you said? What I, what I meant is, is self-awareness as far as my, my self-identity. Now, right. as far as being able to differentiate my molecules from this chair or from whatever, mm -hmm. as much as one rock can be split into multiple rocks, those atoms once they are separated from wherever they come from to originate, if you want to say there was a, a, you know, the Big Bang was the conglomeration of every atom and every, every bit of energy that ever was before the expansion, it doesn't matter. It's just separating the same things. So as Carl um, uh, Sagan. Ned, but Ned, I, I want to interrupt you, Ned. I do apologize. Everything you're saying already presupposes knowledge, and I've yet to see how you get knowledge on an ontology in which you are merely matter in motion. Can you clarify that for me? You're just saying emergent properties. Well, that presupposes knowledge. So can you get move me through a step-by-step -step okay. process where you but, can get from matter in motion to a, a claim about knowledge and then make that consistent with, um, with your ontology? Okay. I can do it um, in a different worldview. I can do it if we are, um, let's say we are um, Sims in a computer. If I am a brain in a vat, I can do all of that in this. But as far as going from a purely naturalistic standpoint, the only thing I can fall back on, is, it is a undiscovered emergent property as far as what originates that, that ability to reason, that ability to claim knowledge. We don't know where, that, where the origination of that is. But to say that because we don't know where it is, is using a God of the gaps argument. So the found... So right, the ahead. foundation of your ontology is based upon an undiscoverable explanation. Mm, not undiscoverable. Okay, please please undis clarify. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Undiscover undiscovered. That's what I said. And undiscovered. You said what discoverable. Discoverable. You. Okay. All right. So yeah. undiscovered. So, so how is right. the foundation of your ontology not arbitrary? That, that, in other words, how do you know it's even discoverable? You don't even know that. Again, it, it goes into, like you, my presuppositions, mm -hmm. my beliefs about what is possible, both present and future tense, if not past tense and through induction. So it, for, you to, for you to be able to sit back and use the same type of claims and mm -hmm. saying it's, trans, it's, it's transcendental, this just happened. And I say, where do you get that? And you say, oh, it's just transcendental, but it's not axiomatic. That's it's not what I said, but that's not my, well, but, but we don't want to go back into the internal critique, right, but that's exactly. not what I said. Okay, right. sorry, I, if, I, if, I, if I misunderstood yeah. that. I don't say it's transcendental because it's transcendental. There's, there's, that's connected to my metaphysic, and there's a whole bunch of other things included in that. Okay, we, if, if, I'd love to come back again and, and kind of really dig <laughs> okay. it, but whatever. Okay. You know what you, what you say that, I'm just going, oh, I want to go. <laughs> um but again, we're all going to get down to these base level um, beliefs that are either presuppositions or we're going to claim they're axiomatic and therefore we're stuck. It, effectively, we're stuck at that point. That's where I am with the emergent properties of reasoning, um, ability, self-awareness, all of that. But the only, I say, real difference in, in the far as where I use it, my, my foundation is, is I look to nature and go, okay, I can see a dolphin. And apparently, based on what we know, that dolphin can differentiate themselves and know that they are the ones in the mirror versus mm -hmm. another one. I can go to bonobo chimps and draw a correlation there. I can go all the way down to honey. Can I interrupt? I do yeah. apologize. Yeah, go ahead. When you, when you appeal 
to chimps and dolphins, that presupposes that there is an external world apart from yourself. You're if right. you start with your own existence, how do you move from your own existence to the reality of an external world? Is the only way that I can do that is number one, acknowledge the fact that yes, we could go into solipsism and get mm -hmm. to the point where we're nothing more than a brain in a vat, or we are. Nothing. How do you escape that? How do you escape that on your own principles? One sec, just to hear from the original question. If you've answered that negation of key, all we can go on to the next one. But just want to make sure you have a chance to finish your answer to the first question. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe I forgot the first question. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> okay, so sorry. I'll, I'll let you guys keep going. All right. Um, again, I presuppose. I presuppose I am not there. I look at it as it is a that's possibility. Ar that's arbitrary. Well, so is yours. How do you get out of that other way? Okay, how okay. do you get out of the same trap without saying God has revealed it to me? And then when I say, how do you know that God revealed it to me? You say, because I believe it or because it's axiomatic or because I was the re re revelatory power of God. Over I said, I said, okay, again, when I'm, I'm not just saying it's axiomatic, I'm saying my, my claim is transcendental in nature, okay. deny it. And I'll be stuck in your perspective, which you just stated, which does not provide the preconditions for intelligibility. When you say, uh, how do I know it apart from God revealing it? I don't know it apart from God revealing it. My claim is that the revelation of God is part of the system. Now you it, might not hold to that, but in that system, I have the preconditions for intelligibility and knowledge. Given your system, I don't, I don't see how, by just positing arbitrarily, I exist. I don't know what I'm composed of. You don't even know if you are matter in motion. There's no way for you to know that. Your, your ontological starting point is based upon an arbitrary picking of an axiom. Axioms but, are unjustifiable, and so anyone could pick any axioms. You've just chosen see, matter in motion, have, I exist. And in my opinion, you have. As Clark would say, well, you I'm not a Clarkian. I don't. Again, okay. So is Van Til would kind not of say, say he wouldn't say. Uh, I don't know. But anyhow, you are picking a set of conditions that say this allows me to do this. I'm doing the exact same thing. The only how do you know that? How do you how do you know? And I don't mean this same. in a, in a, in a sarcastic right. way. Right. When you say I'm just picking a right. system. You're right. presupposing the falsehood of the Christian worldview, since on the Christian worldview, I did not just pick it. It was no, no, revealed because, to me. Because, wait a second, in my perspective, I still allow for the Christian worldview. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Because no, because what is, did I say at the beginning? What did I say at the beginning, Ned? That even, this, even the perspective, let, let me clarify this at the beginning when I, when I started, that there are only two worldviews. There's the Christian worldview and the non-Christian worldview. Agree. And, and that, well, that, that's fine, but all right. the non-Christian worldviews have one thing in common, that they implicitly or explicitly assert the falsehood of the Christian worldview. Even a worldview that says Christianity is possibly correct, that's implying the negation of the Christian worldview since the Christian worldview states that all men know that God exists. You don't have to affirm that, but it's a negation of that worldview perspective. It's a negation of that singular statement, not I don't, entire, we don't take the entire worldview. Right, but we don't take the singular statement out as though you we don't. can look at them. We can't look at them independently you, of the worldview context. You don't. That doesn't mean I can. I'm not constrained by the same things you are. Well, if you're if you're going to posit that we can talk about individual things apart from a context, then I would then, then I would say that you're proving my point that knowledge is impossible. Since knowledge is impossible, if you disconnect specific things from a worldview context, there's no way to define those things. No, what I'm saying is is that is 
just as we can go, and maybe this is another discussion for a different time, um, okay. but just as we can go into the Bible and see that there are blatant errors that do not reflect what we would External critique, about. right. You're giving an external critique. Well, now, again, I can do it from an internal and go, okay, I'm going to believe. I'm going to go to Genesis 1.13, and I'm going to say um, there are two lights, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. No, they're not. There's one, there's one light. There is the moon is not a light. It does not emit photons. It does not in any way, shape, or form. I don't think you understand the nature of internal critique. I yes, I do. Because that's not I, an internal, I, I, that's not an internal light. critique, what you just gave. You tried an internal critique, listen, but it's not listen. a legitimate one. Well, number one, if I go in there and I try to believe that, and then I start to test those foundational claims. Yes, I'm going to erode away from them if I don't agree with them. That doesn't mean that I can't go in there and try to use it and say, okay, this says this is true. We're, we're stating these are true. Now let's look at what these claims are versus what we observe. Wait a second. These don't match. At that point, yes, it's going to make it very, very difficult to come to a conclusion that, yes, I believe that unless I can come to some type of apologetic to explain it away. But again, but, within the Christian worldview, you don't look at the scripture and then use some external judge as to whether the scripture is true. Within the Christian worldview, it's the lens of scripture through which we understand everything else. If you okay. hypothetically granted, if you hypothetically granted the Christian worldview, right. you'd also hypothetically grant that God does not contradict himself. So within the Christian worldview, if you see scriptures that seem contradictory, you would not be allowed to adopt an interpretation that would make those statements contradictory. You'd have to understand them as possibly being reconciled if okay. there's more information or whatever. Again, whether someone thinks that's a legitimate move or not, within an internal critique, that's what you'd have to do. You can't internally critique and say, well, this doesn't match with what I observe here. Well, wait a minute. Within the Christian wait. worldview, what you observe there is interpreted in light of how God has revealed has revealed. But, but here's the thing. By constraining it by with that uh, mandate by mm -hmm. saying that you have to in any way, shape or form that the Bible um, uh, prescribes mm -hmm. cannot deviate from that. You are not giving a true internal critique. All you're doing is following. You are just saying it says it. Yes. There's no critique there. There's no, no. Of I don't think you're, I don't No, 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 what, what I'm saying, an internal really? critique, an internal critique is this. Maybe we should have defined this at the beginning. And if I give a definition and that was what you were assuming, I do apologize. Okay. An internal critique is when you hypothetically grant the truth of the other perspective Absolutely. and then judge it on its own terms. But see, you're, you're, you say that I can go in and say, okay, these are true, these are true, these are true, but I have mm -hmm. to stop there. Well, you can't, if you, if you take Christianity on yeah. its own terms, uh, you'd have to grant possible reconciliations to what you think are are contradictory. So where are where is the critique? If all I do is go in there and grant everything is true, say again. How am I critiquing? If I go in there and all I do is say yes, everything is true. Where is the critique? Right. Well, the critique, the argument is that the Christian worldview provides the preconditions for intelligibility. The the critique would involve um, showing where the Bible teaches that God is the foundation for uh, intelligibility. And then showing that there's something within the system itself that does not provide those preconditions when it says that it is the preconditions. Which but I did the right. way you do that is not the way you just did it. Like, okay, hey, I look over here and this conflicts with here. You're not operating in a consistent system. You're, you're detaching data here and then it's saying this doesn't match with this. And then auto so automatically the scriptures are wrong. 
That's not okay, that's not an internal critique. But there's all well, okay. Well, but <laughs> I also did what you're asking earlier by okay. showing with an omni god, knowledge is impossible because everything is possible with an omni god. No, not theologically impossible. Within an omni god, okay. within the Christian worldview, contradictions can't be true, even if you're convinced in your mind that God can use different logic within different universes only, or whatever. Only if you constrain your God and say your God cannot create outside universes. That's the only I, way. It no, that's false. God can create a God can create as many universes as he wants, but that doesn't that doesn't necessitate <sighs> that there are different logics within those. That that's where that's where the, the logical connection. Okay, is all right, all right. Then, then, then let's do it this way. You're constraining your God to only being able to um, possess the logic that you know of. There cannot no. be logic outside. I'm of saying it. the logic that I know of is the logic that God has revealed that he operates on. I'm operating on the mind of God as revealed in scripture. And so he's logical. That's a, when you say, but there's this whole other logic that's possible. That's not an, a feature of the Christian worldview uh, conception of God. That's it's just not. You might in your mind you might think it's possible, but within the Christian worldview, no, God doesn't operate on different logics. If He were to hypothetically create other universes, that's just the that, within the system. That's not that's not the case. To suggest that it's possible again, that's that is an attempted internal critique. But then you're reverting back to an external critique because that's not the picture of the Christian system. But see again, I am granting the omni of God and giving Him every omni. You are the one who are constraining your God. I'm not constraining. If the Bible's true, God tells me what he does and God explains, God explains what the nature of his omnipotence is. The Bible teaches God cannot lie. That's a restraint that he puts on himself, but, but that's, not, not that's, not, um, that's not an impingement upon his omnipotence. And I'm not, and I'm not mandating he does lie. All I'm okay. saying is, is that, is that he does not reveal everything to us. Of course, nobody believes that he created it. I mean, he, he doesn't reveal everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. What are those things that he's revealed? Logic, truths of logic. All that he of can't logic? contradict. That he can't All contradict. Of All well, of logic? The, the laws of logic, the, I, I don't even know what that means, all of logic. I don't know what that means. I don't even know what Eli, it means Eli, to have. Eli, Eli, you don't have to know what you don't know. But you, the, what I'm saying is, is when, you're, when you fall back on that argument of, I don't even know what that means. It, well, it's incoherent to me. I don't, I don't think it's even well, coherent. What that's what I'm saying. Well, and that's my point is, I, I'm, I, I want to be as, as generous as possible. I like you. We sure. have a conversation. I don't want well, you to take it off. But sure. it smacks of dishonesty in that when you say, I don't know what that means. You, I know you're intelligent enough. We've talked enough to where I guarantee you can conceive of there may be another, another set of logical um, pot, uh, laws of logic, if you will, that we are not privy to, we cannot be privy to because of the constraints that God has imposed on us that could, in possibility, in theory, cre um, create problems with how we perceive logic working. No. So, right. so thank you for, possible? thank you for being generous. <laughs> okay. Right. I, if you can take my word, I'm not trying to be disingenuous. I honestly, okay. I honestly am just, just disagreeing with you. Within the Christian worldview, what you just suggested is not a possibility. Okay. Within and the Christian worldview. And that's, and that's the exact same thing that you did when I said um, about the moon being a light. 
Now you're saying that within the within the worldview. So you're you're basically cocooning yourself into this unfalsifiable, untestable little bubble. Well, there you made a mistake. There it is uh, unfalsifiable because if I have the truth and I'm convinced I have the truth, then I don't believe it can be falsified. Things that are necessarily true are by definition unfalsifiable. And what is my argument? What's the argument at the beginning? That the proof for the truth of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. The nature of that argument is that I believe my position is unfalsifiable. It is the necessary prerequisite. But that it does not mean that it's without demonstration since the demonstration comes in its transcendental necessity, which we talked about. And I don't think you understand the nature of transcendental. I... Yes. Based I, upon what you've said in the discussion, I don't think that you fully grasped it because you, then you equate, you equate, I don't know, I don't equate transcendentals with axioms and things like that. And I, and I, exactly. I don't make those, these, those equations. I'm going but to, to see, that's I what I want to give negation to the last word, right. just because we let Eli, we give you the start and also because sure. we want to move into the Q&A. So negation to the floor is yours and we will go into the Q&A. Okay. And before uh, we before we do that negation, I just want to say thank you beforehand. I'll probably say it again, but I, I really did enjoy this conversation. This was really good. Yeah, that that that's works great because that's exactly what I was going to say. Great. <laughs> so yes. We, so we agree again. Uh, okay. No, seriously, thanks. This was fun. I'm more than happy to come back and talk to you anytime. Um, again, I I don't even know what to wrap up. I think we've we beat this horse to death a hundred times. I think that we've got a fundamental. Um, disagreement in what is axiomatic and what is a justified um, starting point in that where I will fully admit that my justification, my starting point is a presupposition is axiomatic in that I, well, maybe it's not axiomatic because I will still allow for the possibility of being a brain in a vat, but my belief is I'm not. And since I'm not, I'm going to act accordingly. Whereas when we get to your worldview, this must be the case. We cannot allow for anything else. And that's where we start to get into these problems. You don't view that as, as, um, oh, as creating a, a bubble that is, I don't even, I, I, I don't want to get way down that rabbit hole. Um, okay. I would be more than happy um to talk again um and I, I honestly really would like to get back into the to the to the moral argument as well and also sure. on my stuff because you're right we didn't get nearly enough on the my stuff mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. okay. all right gotcha thank you very much gentlemen really appreciated this really interesting it's been deep that's for sure and it's been a good a good like uh you know work on the brain a good workout and <laughs> We are excited for these questions. A lot of good questions. It's been fun to watch these come in. So, Super Chats, thanks so much for your Super Chats. I can't remember if I mentioned. Uh, basically, Super Chats, if you want to do it, they go to the top of the list for the Q&A, and it also gives you the chance to make a comment toward one of the speakers that they, of course, would get the chance to respond to. And with that, Jeff Dutcher, or Dutcher, forgive me if I mispronounced it, he said, can you get Unirock 2 versus Nate Brody on? I will try. Thanks for that idea. Ronald Vidanka, <laughs> thanks for your question. He said, Eli, tell your God to reveal himself right now, please. The world has been waiting a long, it's long in all capital letters, time. <laughs> um, well, well, again, it, again, we're uh, 
coming from a Christian perspective, God has revealed himself. And the evidence of that revealing himself is that people are operating under assumptions that don't make sense unless the God that I'm talking about exists. Again, you people can say, well, that's just the claim, but then that's where we're getting into the internal critique. Show me that on your world, you can make sense out of the things you're doing. Reasoning, induction, science. I'm saying without the metaphysical context of the God of Christianity, you have no justification for those things. The very fact that you do them is evidence that you're relying upon the God whom you know exists. And that would be my answer. You can disagree with it, but then we'd have to engage in some further discussion. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Next up, Sidrafredo Sarabia. Thanks for your question. He said, if Christianity is true, wouldn't it mean that all other religions are wrong? Even mm -hmm. more so, salvation is exclusive. Isn't that arrogance? Why is it allowed? Mm -hmm. Well, again, by logical necessity, uh, contradictory claims cannot be true. So if I were to say Christianity is true, I'm implicitly affirming the falsity of every other worldview perspective. That's not arrogance. That's just the nature of truth. If the Bible's true, then everything that contradicts the Bible or negates the Bible would be false. So it's not arrogant. If so, it's like saying, why is truth so narrow? Well, it's narrow because that's just the nature of truth. And so that's interesting. Jesus says, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say I have the truth. He says, I am the truth. The claims of Jesus challenge every other worldview perspective and claims that they are false. That's the nature of the Christian claim. So I don't think it's arrogant, although I do apologize on behalf of many Christians, especially people from the presuppositional camp. Uh, we could often present that in an arrogant fashion. And when we do that, I think we're acting inconsistently with the Bible. Gotcha. Thanks so much. This person, yeah, this is her own name. This is its a voter profile. So, so stupid whore energy asks for <laughs> Eli, how does your rendering of punk <laughs> energy? That's uh, a real I don't understand. I don't understand it either. <laughs> a lot of energy. So she says, for Eli, how does your rendering of omnipotence escape the famous quote McEar counterexample? where it is only possible for this entity to scratch his ear and is therefore omnipotent. Um, well, again, the analogy, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with how the argument is formulated, but um, first of all, I don't believe God has an ear. Uh, he's a spirit, doesn't have a body. And uh, I think I know what they're saying, that omnipotence is, is just that God does anything consistent with his nature. Um, and doesn't contradict it. So how is that different than just saying God does what he does? Well, what God does is far greater than what we can do since he's created all things and is the definer of what's possible. It is within his nature to define what's possible and impossible. And so in that sense, we would define that as powerful relative to everything else that's not that or doesn't have those qualities. So um, I don't think that that, I mean, if I understood the, uh, the question, I don't think that that's a problem for the Christian concept, concept of omnipotence. Gotcha. You bet. Thank you very much. And next up, stupid whore energy again. She <laughs> strikes again. A lot of energy, like I said. What is your, she asked, what is your opinion of paraconsistent logics which deny the law of non-contradiction? Right. Uh, well, to even speak about those logics, you have to presuppose the law of non-contradiction. So to deny it, you're affirming it even to discuss those other kinds of logics. If, if you, you know, you have uh, Aristotelian logic, Boolean logic, different kinds of logic to even speak about it. You need to already presuppose the universality and validity of the law of non-contradiction. So I would say that even to speak about those things, you're demonstrating those basic laws that we've uh, that I've just expressed. Gotcha. 
Thank you very much. Next up, Sidrafago Saravia. They asked question for Oh, question for Ned. I say say I presuppose you know logic based on your name. Wouldn't the proposition of key that God exists must be true in order to be a negation of key in the proposition. I don't know if I follow that. <laughs> trying to... I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're asking. <laughs> I'm, it's a toughie. That's I honestly, to be completely honest, I was hoping one of you guys would <laughs> know what it meant. Um, they, so I'll try it one more time. I presuppose you know logic based on your name. Wouldn't right. the the proposition of P, namely the proposition that God exists, uh, okay. God exists? I think you're saying. Isn't it the case that that proposition must be true in order to be a negation of P in a proposition? No, I don't think that makes sense. I know it's for Ned, but I'm not sure if Ned understands it. But the negation no, of P doesn't have to presuppose the affirmation of P when you're just considering the basic construction of the of the uh, of the argument. No, in fact, I was trying to write it out in logical form, and it no, there, it doesn't follow. <laughs> No. <laughs> gotcha. Yes, we agree again. <laughs> uh, next up, Jim Majors, thanks for your super chat. He says, if God's word is divine revelation, why did the New Testament authors use the, if I remember this right, is, does the LXX remember refer to the Septuagint? Yes. Okay. And then he says, why do we need to translate something that is divinely inspired by God? Well, if God chooses to utilize language, then he's going to convey it to people who don't speak that language. So you could you could convey knowledge of God uh, that God reveals in different languages and capture the same essence of what God is seeking to convey. So I don't think there's a problem with God revealing himself in Spanish and then revealing those same propositions, whatever they may be, in a different language. So I think language is an adequate medium to to for God to reveal himself. But and I think I, that was always maybe, God's intention since God created Adam and, uh, Adam and Eve in his image. And so that presupposes consciousness and logic and communication that, that we see um, is uh, present in the garden. And, and I would agree with that if all um, translations were, you know, had continuity and especially if they were perfectly, um, you know, reflective of one another. Right. But I think what the, what the essence of the question is getting to is, is that, a lot of the translations do not square. And I mean, to a point where they are significantly um, different. I, mean, uh, I, mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I mean, again, uh, we can get into an whole issue of textual criticism and translation, which would be a, a, a topic for another show. Um, yeah. But um, I would say that the message of God that he desires for us to know is, is still um, encapsulated in the imperfect translations of the inspired documents documents that we have. When you say significant differences, I, if you're talking about textual variants and things like that, then no, 99 point something percent of them are really irrelevant to the meaning of major doctrines and things like that. So I would disagree. I would disagree no, but, on that. Well, I mean, I, I would say, and I'm assuming being a Calvinist, you would not consider uh, Catholics to be Christian. I would say, oh yes, I would not. I would not. Okay. So I and, and I so I would disagree with. Um, right, and they're using a variant of the Bible that I would assume, at least, uh, and again, maybe I'm off on this. That right. you're saying would originate from a fairly the same place. 
No, when you say a variation of the Bible, I would say that the Catholics have the same New Testament that we have, and uh, the basic structure of the Old Testament with the added Apocrypha, which was added in, in the 1500s, um, and I would not accept those. And I think that's where a lot of some of their, their what I would consider their deviant teachings spring forth from. You have the historical context of the Protestant Reformation, that they're responding to um, the doctrines of justification by faith alone and things like that. And so these books were included, which I would argue were never acknowledged by Jesus or the apostles to be uh, on par with what we do accept as, as scripture. And that's historically a fact. Jesus well, never quoted the Apocrypha and, or anything like that. And a Catholic would argue the exact opposite. They could argue, but then, but then we would engage in we would engage in uh, a discussion over theology, which is precisely what Catholics and Protestants do. Right, but and, and, and not, I, think, I think that's his point: is that if if we have a divinely inspired, divinely created message, that message should be fairly straightforward, and and you wouldn't have the splintering effect let's say after the original um mm, if it was as clear as it yeah it, itself purports to be well the the splintering and the deviations can have a bunch of different complex sources that are not necessarily grounded in the in the ambiguity of the message there are a lot of different historical and and uh, theological and even i would say in some cases both from protestant and catholic sinful motivations as to why certain things are developed and you have different uh, views on different issues. But that's, that's okay. not an issue of the, of the ambiguity of scripture. That's an issue more of the complexity of, of human beings, their philosophies, their commitments, political issues, and things like that. So I wouldn't say that it's an ambiguity in the text. And, I, and again, the Catholic could argue for the Apocrypha, which they do. I don't think they would make a very good argument at that point, but we argue, and that's why we do apologetics. And that's why you do apologetics from your perspective. People disagree with you, but that doesn't mean you don't have good justification for the positions you hold. Catholics right. will disagree with us over textual issues and what books should be included, but we engage in argumentation. And it is not to no avail since oftentimes, you know, you have situations where a Catholic will be convinced and say, you know what, I think the Protestant view is correct. And then sometimes you have the opposite effect. Protestant, right? Exactly. So we need, to, yep. we need to take the arguments, make sure we present them clearly, uh, but also take into consideration the complexity of of human thinking and the traditions that people hold on to in that whole process. Because the reason why someone converts to another side is not necessarily because the other side is true. There might be other um, psychological reasons included in that as well. well the, and I think that goes main, for both sides of the coin. Well, and again, if, you're, if your worldview is true, the main reason they're converting is because it's part of God's plan and his will, and he deemed it to happen. Absolutely. But the, it, but it, but the conclusion, therefore, would not be that it doesn't matter if we argue for it or not, because then that would presuppose... I know, I'm just saying, but some people might think that, well, if God decrees it, then what's the point of even talking about it? And that would uh, fail to understand the distinction between a sovereign God who has a decree and the idea of an impersonal fatalism. We do not believe that no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. God just has a, a conclusion. We believe that God ordains the, uh, the means as well as the ends. He ordains the ends and the means by which we reach those ends. And those means include standing for the truth, arguing for scripture and those secret decree of God is something that I'm not responsible to, uh, to answer to because I don't just know what so it is. I, just so I'm clear. I'm sorry. I've, I'm going on the stand. I just want to make sure that's okay. But you are, you are Calvinist, which if my understanding, you're still of, of the belief that there are the elect non-elect that are mm -hmm. preordained before, before the foundations of the world. Right. So it doesn't effectively, it doesn't matter 
No. Um, it, it, at the end game, it doesn't it doesn't matter because if you're if you're of the elect, you're going to go, and if you're not, it doesn't. So no, it, no not, I wouldn't say it doesn't yeah. matter because the actions that God ordains in time are the means whereby those things play out. So our actions still matter. Now, of course, our actions don't change God's decree, but part of His decree is that we act in certain ways, and He's revealed that, and He's made provisions for our disobedience for that in His in His huh. uh, in His decree. Okay. So, so, and just so I'm clear, so effectively, those are, and I, again, it's going to sound maybe a little pejorative, but it, I don't mean it that bad. That's okay. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, effectively, it's either like a um, actors with a script that are given the script and you will follow the script to the letter or a puppet master that puts no. this puppet in motion. Yeah, I wouldn't say a puppet master or anything like that. Um, there'd be some... Uh, again, analogies will break down, but assume, assume, assume differently. I mean, within the Christian tradition, there are different understandings as to the nature of freedom. You don't have to adopt the Calvinistic model of that. In some cases, for example, the relationship between human responsibility and freedom and God's decree, uh, there are some Calvinists who fill that in and give a metaphysical explanation as to how that works. Well, I'm not committed to adopting a metaphysical explanation since the scripture doesn't tell us exactly how they work together. So you have some Christians who affirm the truths that God sovereignly decrees everything that comes to pass. I am sufficiently responsible for my actions. And in some way it works out. It's a very complicated topic. And so you have different philosophies, but I'm not committed biblically to a specific metaphysical explanation since the Bible doesn't actually get into the metaphysical explanation as to how those things work. Okay. Next. Thanks so much. We appreciate that. And next up, Ronald Danka. Thanks for your super chat. He said, Christianity is Jesus dying for our sins. Is that true or not? Well, Christianity is a system of beliefs, which include that Jesus died for sinners. So I wouldn't wrap up the entire Christian faith in just those statements. Again, the, the crucifixion of Jesus does not have any meaning outside of the broader context of the Christian worldview. Just as a man rising from the dead doesn't prove that he's the son of God, if you detach that resurrection from the broader context in which that resurrection has meaning. So um, the crucifixion of Jesus has the meaning that it does because of the Christian system. And so I would say Christianity at base is the system which the crucifixion is a part of. Thank you very much. Next up, we have a super chat from Sigervato Zarabia. Thanks for your super chat. He says, uh, for negation of P, you say metaphysics. Why does a God not make the cut? Again, mm. <laughs> same guy. Um, I think I explained that. I think I explained that a little bit earlier, but um, as far as a God in general, I think you can get, especially deistic God, you can easily, that God can make the cut. The Christian God can't make the cut because in my opinion, it's internally inconsistent in that I've got a all good God that um, doesn't allow for evil, but somehow evil exists with an all good plan. Um, also, we can have knowledge, but there is nothing about this world that is because of his power and because of his, um, his omni being that is um, knowable because everything is changeable. So that's why I would say that the, the two biggest issues, at least what we talked about tonight are, go are going to be, and that's why 
in my opinion, he doesn't make the cut. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know if I could respond. Go ahead. You can go to the next question. If you'd like to make a really short and pithy one, we can, but we do have a <laughs> lot of questions. Okay, so so just for the idea that God uh, God is all good but doesn't allow for evil, but there's evil. Again, that's that's not the Christian position. God does allow evil. I think the fallacy is that because God allows evil, that therefore that evil can't be distinguished from good. Because God allows it, then it has to be good. That's the faulty thing. God can allow, it is good for God to allow evil things because it accomplishes purposes but that doesn't magically make the evil things he allows good or unable to identify whether they're good or bad so i would just disagree there's a, a logical disconnect there I, I think that doesn't follow i'll leave it there because he made a couple of other comments it might be a little too long next up sister readers rabia thanks for your super chat he says eli if in the bible moses literally made a stick into a snake how does it make sense that quote Jesus is the door is an agreed metaphor and say Bible's literal. Says, well, go ahead. <laughs> you're probably wondering how the heck could you answer that? Cause that question made no sense. Um, well, uh, we will interpret in light of various things. When you do hermeneutics, you have to employ various interpretive principles. And I think the identification of genre and the kind of figures of speech that are being utilized, we know that Jesus is not a literal door, right? Um, because that's a figure of speech. And you can, use, you can use examples of figures of speech which use things like that. God, a Moses, uh, turning the, 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 the staff into a snake, the, the genre in which that story is, is told is within a historical narrative. And so there's no reason to believe that that particular instance is metaphorical. Um, now, again, there are people say, well, the whole Bible's metaphorical. Well, no, it's not. To interpret the Bible literally, you have to interpret it in light of its literature. In many cases, it's clear in which Jesus is the door and Moses turning the staff. Into, that's clear. But then there are some other areas of scripture where we have to work a little bit to understand uh, the genre. And interpretation at that point can be a little challenging, but that's what we work at. You know, so I have Bible studies and, and we get together and work through those things. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Next up. Sidjavito Sarabia, thanks for your super chat. They said, Eli, is it wrong for us to some quote because the Bible says so? Is it wrong for us to what? Some, like S U M, like as if we're adding. Maybe they might, maybe they mean sin because maybe they were typing fast. Is it wrong for us to sin because the Bible says that we shouldn't? Or I don't want to put words in the mouth of the person. I think that is what they're saying. That's my best guess. Okay, so can you ask the question again in in, uh, in the assumption that we think we know what they're saying? <laughs> yeah, so they say, is it wrong for us to sin, quote, because the Bible's, Bible says that it is wrong to sin? Like, is that what makes it wrong? Oh, yeah, yeah. Something's not wrong merely because the Bible says it's wrong, because then we could ask the deeper question, why does the Bible say it's wrong? Something's wrong because of the more deeper issue of the nature and character of God. When we're, we are made in the image of God, and when we act in ways that do not conform with that image, we are violating his law. And so uh, the reason why certain things are sinful and the reason why the Bible mentions certain things that are sinful is because they violate God's nature. We're made in his image, and so we're called to live, in, uh, live consistently with his nature. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Next up. 
That's right. Oh, we'll we'll Sorry about that. Uh, Sidra Sarabia, he's coming at you. Negation of P. He wants a piece of you today. Uh, we appreciate you being here, Sidra He says, what's the source for logic in atheism? Why can't I use an atheist argument and conclude that it's something made up or doesn't exist, but used for description? <laughs> Sidra Fredo, you're making... Like I'm, this was this was tough because then he just ends it with the word like atheist. Sister <laughs> 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 Pedro, are you are you trying to make it hard on me? So it's uh, just, uh <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. But you guys, what have you interpreted that last? You nailed it last time, Eli. So this one, the first part, I actually I understand pretty. I think I understand clearly. What's the source for logic in atheism? Why can't right. I use an atheist argument and conclude? that it's something made up. Right. He's just asking, what's the foundation for logic on an atheist perspective? Who's to say that logic is just something we use as a um, description as opposed to something that's prescriptive? Okay. And that's, that's exactly, and that's exactly what I would say is it is an observation in the same way that a law of science, science is not a law in that we must follow it. It is an observation of what we see and to our best understanding that is how things work. Um, logic is the exact same way. Our laws of logic are oh, um, observations. And based on those observations and based on inference, since we haven't seen law of non-contradiction or yeah, any, any, any of the rest of them, we can get into at least the top three if we wanted to, but we haven't seen any, of, any violation of those through inference. We assume that they are universal and they hold true in, in all instances. Mm -hmm. But again, they're not prescriptive, they're descriptive. Right, I think, I think that's philosophically unacceptable. Uh, to say that we haven't seen logic, well, we can't see logic, it's conceptual. And to say that it's descriptive and not prescriptive is to deny its universality and, this, and necessity. If it's merely describing mm -hmm. and we can't know that it's prescri prescriptive, then what you describe is based upon your worldview lens. If someone comes across and has a different worldview lens and describes things differently, you could have counter logics, unless you presuppose that they're universal and invariant not, and the same for everyone. Not, not if you were to look at them and see if they actually work. How do you look at a law of logic, Ned? Again, okay, well, law of non-contradiction. If I said that everything has to be itself, and it can't be too... It's a law of identity. Country, or law, law of identity, whatever. Right. It has to be itself, okay? Well, I can test that. Can something be not itself? No. If someone came along and prescribed to me and said, oh, I've got a counter argument that I've got a non-law, a law of non-identity that shows that I can be non-myself. Okay, show me how that works. If they could show me how that works, then one of them is going to be negated. You can't so have... So, Can something not be itself? No, not that, not that we have observed. Is it, is it possible for something to not be itself? I am very hesitant to deal in any absolute. Are so, you absolutely sure about that? I don't want to be annoying, but annoying, but you do deal in some absolutes by necessity. That, that, but that's why I said I didn't say I didn't deal in any. I said I'm very hesitant okay. to deal okay. in any absolute. Yeah. Um, in this case... I, not that I am aware of and not that I can conceive of, but I am still going to yeah. be cautious enough. And I would say, hopefully, um, <laughs> uh, 
I'll be nice. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not going to make that absolute statement in that it has to be. Yeah, I think I think it's Phyllis. I think it's philosophically, uh, and I'm not talking about you. I'm saying the concept right. is philosophically absurd to say that something can be itself, and it's possible. I might. I'm going to be hesitant about it. It may be possible that right. something cannot be what it is. I think that's. I think that's philosophically absurd. And again, I I understand that given where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. But if you allow for possibility in all in any um, realm then all you have to do is, is see if there's a way to test for that. And if there is, put it to the test. And that doesn't mean that it proves it. It just gives us a higher probability of that being at least consistent, if not universal. But to make, that, make the statement that it's absolutely absurd that in every possible instant, every possible universe, every possible existence, there couldn't be something that breaks that law, I, yeah, again, I think I it's I think it's absolutely absurd in any universe for something to be and itself and then not be itself at the same time and in the same way or violate the law of identity. I think that's right. I think that's absurd because the laws of logic I, yeah. transcend and, those and categories. Let me one, one more one, one more pushback real quick. And then, yes, and that I'll would that, that would presuppose just as long as for the next questions. Forgive me, I hate to just I'll give you a chance to respond to each of each. Just for the next questions, if we can try to make them a little bit quicker, otherwise we won't get anywhere near as many okay. as we're hoping to get to. Gotcha. You mean the answers? Make the answers quicker? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. You're, all right. Basically, by making that statement, you are presupposing all knowledge of at least that um, that realm of logic, which right, I don't, again, yeah. without foundation. Because, it, because it's transcendentally necessity. A, necess a necessity, yeah. Axiomatic. Yep. You're right. Axiomatic. Nope. Transcendental. Gotcha. Next, uh, we, uh, I love you, man. <laughs> I do too, brother. And maybe a couple sentences. Teal the art. Thanks for your super chat. He said, "Can someone define circular logic for us, please?" You want to go? Um. The, well, he's just asking anybody. I thought just, he was okay. If it's if it's two sentences, it's anybody. <laughs> okay. Circular logic is the idea that logic is circular by necessity. You have to assume it in order to demonstrate it. And that's what I was saying, that it's transcendentally necessary. If you deny it, you affirm it. If you affirm it, you affirm it. It's necessarily true. And just to piggyback on that, all arguments are circular at base. You can't get away from it. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Tiunga Art, thanks for your super chat. They say, uh, ask, does God care about earth and climate? For atheism, what economy or society do you think would be most productive for surviving and being copacetic? That's a new word I've never <laughs> Copacetic, I think. Surviving yeah. and being, my guess is it's something like, like riding. Hmm. So does God care about the earth or climate? We'll give that question to Eli. Uh, he does, but then when you ask the question, how might we, you know, work that out and and you know make decisions in regards to how we interact with the earth there are different ways to go about it i think that's something that christians if we really were conscious about that would be something we'd have to work through so uh like i like you know i believe god cares about his creation how we should interact and and consider all the issues involved in that i think is is a little more difficult and, and we'd have to kind of work through that so he hasn't given us all the answers to how that works but he's definitely given us principles uh, uh, by which we can begin to kind of uh, work towards that end, taking care of the earth, that is. Gotcha. Thank you. 
And then for atheism, what economy or society do you think would be most productive towards survival or thriving? Uh, okay. Um, one that we agree on universal universal goals for for humanity. Um, what that would mean is as a consensus on where we're going and what we want to achieve as a species. Once we get those down, now we can prescribe um, a moral framework that would reflect that goal and hopefully allow us to achieve that goal. So, you know, in my opinion. We want to try to make as little suffering as possible um, while ensuring the survival of our species at, at the highest, um, you know, the highest uh, comfort level and um, uh, information. I mean, God, it's way too damn late right now. <laughs> My mind's not working at all. Um, all. Every word I'm trying to find, I'm getting the first letter and everything's just freezing. Um, no, the highest where we should we should in my worldview and the way that i would like to see it is diminish suffering as much as possible protect the species as much as possible and value truth and um learning so we can ensure those things um come to fruition kind of close enough gotcha thank you very much citrus rabia thanks for your super chat best you like uh christianity is relatively new who was God before the Judeo-Christian God? Where did he go? <laughs> well, if the Bible's true, then uh, the Christian God is the original God that created the heavens and the earth. And so, uh, I don't see—I don't see the point of that question. If it's trying to make the point, like, "Hey, what's going on with God? Christianity's new. Where was he before that? Well, he's the same God in the Old Testament, and he's the same God that existed prior to the Old Testament being written down." Gotcha. Thank you very much. And Citrifredo Sarabi, thanks for your next super chat. <laughs> so Citrifredo had a lot of questions today. We appreciate it. Uh, they ask, ask the presuppositionalist, his name is on the border. <laughs> they say, ask the presuppositionalist how to escape circularity. Okay. I know. I have a name for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you when you're dealing with ultimate foundations, you do not escape circularity. We're all in a circle. However, I would make a distinction. I know some people would disagree, but I would make a distinction. I think it's a valid philosophical distinction between uh, vicious circularity and virtuous circularity. For example, I'm not committing a detrimental fallacy when I assume the laws of logic to prove the laws of logic. Because certain things, contrary to my uh, my friend Ned here, okay, uh, things can be demonstrated transcendentally. Okay, they are demonstrated by their necessity. When we that when we justify ultimate presuppositions, we do not justify them by appealing to something outside of them, because then 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 if we do that, we're not appealing to our ultimate standard. We're making that other thing our ultimate standard. So in order to justify an ultimate standard, you need to appeal to the ultimate standard and demonstrate its transcendental necessity. Deny it, and it's already affirmed in the case of logic, and I would argue in the case of God. Uh, just oh, keep on moving. Forgive me, negation. I know I you got a response. I wish I could see negation's face, man. I, I can only see your face right now. I'm sure he's like, I want to jump in. I want to jump in. I want. I definitely. But anyhow, we'll, I'll be good and we'll keep going. He's got a round in the chamber ready to go. Sorry, sorry to stop you. Cesar Vados Rabia, thanks for your super chat. 
They ask, they said, God's sources, source of evil? I think they're saying, what is God's source of evil? And they, then they ask, what's Satan in Christianity? What is Satan? I think they mean like in the moral realm, maybe. So they, I, maybe even, if they might be even asking like, was is Satan a source of God's evil? Uh, the, the way it's written is God's source of evil. I think they're asking like, what is God's source of evil? And then they're asking, what's Satan in the Christian worldview? Uh, I'm not sure I understand the question. I think it might be kind of like, uh, I'm, I could be totally wrong. So for, forgive me, Sigifredo, if I'm wrong. It might be just kind of like a general understanding of Christianity, like they're wanting to get your perspective on these questions. Not like a trick question or anything, but just like getting mm -hmm. your question of like, does God have a, a source of evil? And if so, what is it? I think it's saying like, is there evil in God? Is yeah. Well, we have to define evil. I, I, within the Christian framework, we do not define evil as having some kind of positive ontology, right? Evil is a a, um, a deprivation. It is a it is a moving away from the positive good, which is reflected in in God. God within Christianity has no evil, but evil occurs when His creation veers from His good nature. Okay, so there's no evil in God, but he creates beings that um, have the ability to move away from acting consistently with the goodness of God, his nature. Gotcha. And then, let's see. So do you think that that as well answers what Satan is in Christianity? Um, well, again, well, on the Christian story, Satan was not always evil, but as God creating him, he had the potential to veer from God's um, moral standards, and in which case he becomes a rebel, so to speak. Now, did God um, know that that was going to happen? Well, of course, right? We get into that whole issue of, of God's decree. Um, but God decreeing that evil transpire is not um, affirming that there is some kind of positive evil within God. Uh, so I'm not sure if that's kind of what they're asking. That's how I'd, I'd go about that. Gotcha. Thanks so much. And thank you, everybody, for your questions, your super chats, your just being here, hanging out with us. It's been a blast. It is, for, I'm honestly, I also, my brain is like kind of mush right now. I'm <laughs> like, we have talked, this has been a great time. You guys, I've loved listening to you. I appreciate you guys. You guys really are just a blessing to have around just to, here and chat with and so we want to say thanks for being here want to let everybody know reminder their links both eli and negation of these are down in the description so if you enjoyed hearing what they had to say you could hear more of those links and want to say thanks again gentlemen for being here it's been a pleasure and one thing i wanted to also say is forgive me anybody out there who was like oh my question didn't get asked so sorry. We had a, a lot of questions tonight. Can I just uh, mention something? If I, yeah. I, I just, if people are interested in my perspective, I just released a podcast. You could download it on iTunes and others. It's called Revealed Apologetics. And basically, I just go through the methodology. I, I've only released one episode right now. I'm going to try to episode, uh, release episodes weekly and things like that. So if they're interested in how I answer certain questions, they could actually email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com. And if they ask questions through email, I could try my best to answer those questions in one of my segments on the podcast. So just throwing that out there. Awesome. You bet. 
just putting that in the description now. And once again, thank you guys so much for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us, man. It was always fun. Thank you so much. And thank you, Ned. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com.